Today is another day, a great day to be seen. And in the building, our guest today, as we talk about the state of education, is Brother Andre Nichols. We're pulling Dave in from a whole nother planet. And uh, we're going to get right to this. But before we do, uh, a moment of silence go out to the young men who lost their lives today in a senseless shooting in Virginia. And uh, as we are, you know, really talking about this very thing uh, daily, uh, great question my son asked me. He said, man, what can we do or what are you doing, right, that is solving? He said, because a friend of mine was telling me about how there are a lot of single white fathers, too, that's not seeing their kids. I say, son, listen. This fatherhood piece is legit all the way across the board. Yes, it is. It's not a game that um, has a color to it. I know some, put it this way, son, we can't carry the child support system. <laughs> that was one way to put it, huh? That's the, be that's the best way I can put it. We are not the ones carrying that child support system. And, uh, but we're, we're, we're attacked all fathers and the whole nine. So I really, you know, gave him an idea to uh, as to what we was doing and why we were painting the solution. Dave, you on? I'm on. All right, brother Dave. Right, and and so we was having this conversation. But like I told him, I said everything you see that is wrong, that is happening, that involves children, is connected to fathers. Everything. Say now, you could paint the picture from rapist, domestic violence, abuser, the whole nine. Whatever you paint is going to come up next to that father. It's big. With that being said, Dave, Andre is in the building. Brother Andre Nichols, um, friend, brother, understands exactly uh, what education is about and we're going to get into this conversation as a matter of fact i passed somebody your information a brother of mine russell holmes is going to reach out to you okay. right because he's building a, a school and I, I said the best reference i could give him was andre nichols <laughs> it's, it's so kind hey how you doing over there how you doing, how you doing? i'm fine i'm fine pleasure so Andre, how you feeling today, brother? Man, I'm doing wonderful, and uh, it's a blessing and honor to be back, you know, just to spend time with you and uh, reach uh, your audience on some uh, on some topics out there that I know that are in people's hearts and minds right now, you know, so I'm ready to get it in. Yeah, yeah, that, that education is key, so we're going to jump right into it. Dave, how you feeling today? Oh, pretty good. Life is good, still standing, so I ain't complaining. That's right. That's right. Good, good. So, so Andre, in the, with this education piece, we, we understand that it, it's kind of... I posted the other day, it's funny that we're having this conversation. My sinus is on bump, so excuse me. But I posted the other day, the 2004 election has impacted education, the workforce development, the whole nine. And I watched that. I watched the No Child Left Behind, the impact of thousands of... Anybody can open up a school. I watched that. 
and I watched our kids uh, be fully exposed uh, in education. We discovered there were some reading issues in Michigan. But more importantly, the workforce took a hit. Uh, the makeup packet became the most dangerous thing to me that we gave these kids. Because in the makeup packet was no accountability. I am a, I'm an honor student on paper, but only because of the makeup packet. You know what I mean? <laughs> right? And so that became very, very uh, uh, impactful to the youth. So the first question is, we know the pandemic hit. What do you think we learned about schools coming out of the pandemic? Well, you came out the gate loaded, huh? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, you know, first let me say that the uh, the pandemic in itself was like a Band-Aid. Everything that we, what you might say, discovered was actually already there. But you peel back that Band-Aid, and now you are forced to reckon with it on a more personal and intense level. Uh, when you talk about uh, social and emotional learning and trauma and anxieties and depression, those things have existed well beyond the pandemic at the same moment during that time, uh, we were given the opportunity to slow down and, and find some balance. And um, so to a certain degree, it actually welcomed some conversations that needed to take place, particularly to how have we been addressing the needs of our students within the confines of a school building. Um, so this is not in any rank order, but I will, since I did mention social emotional learning, um, that, uh, that piece right there has been pretty significant because there have been gaps in what our school communities have been providing students. They've been seen as these intellectual institutions, but we haven't been giving as much emphasis on the non-cognitive aspect of the human being, and not just students, but also the adults in the building, too. Um, so when we're talking about trauma, anxieties, depression, um, we have escaped and haven't filled in those gaps of building resiliency and giving um, individuals the tools that they need in order to find that balance um, and say that it's okay for me to attend to the essence and the human element of who I am first. And the pandemic, when we start seeing and hearing from students talking about how they're feeling, now it's like, okay, what do we do as the institution to help bridge this gap? Um, one of the things that online learning provided was it was the first moment in time that we got the, the chance to see what was going on inside of the home. The camera, when turned on, it is showing what's taking place. So we've known about the elements of poverty and brokenness in the homes and things of that. But when that camera is right there, now you're seeing it verbatim. And it, it really just... Um, force us to continue to reckon with what tools have we been providing our schools and our students to uh, to be successful and in a holistic approach um, because it's not just in in one remedy um, but in a multiplicity of places 
that our schools have been thrown into being a part of that solution. And I do want to make certain that I state that the school is a part of the solution. Um, we cannot speak to our, uh, um, our schools as if they are the remedy. They're just a part of. So, um, but the, um, the pandemic unearthed a lot that we're contending with right now. Um, as a matter of fact, I sit on the school board and one of the things uh, that happened when you saw this flux of money come through ESSER and ESSER II, um, if schools did not have strategic plans and emphasis, you were sitting on stockpiles of cash without any agenda. And it really called us out at the same moment to say, whoa, I have this money, but what am I going to do with it? Right. You remember the movie Brewster's Million? Right. When he had all that loot? Right. <laughs> and it's like, man, he's buying stamps. and <laughs> Right. What and, do and, I do? And it happened with schools, too. Um, and uh, it, it, all, it made certain that schools put together strategic aims so that there should be nothing that... Um, whatever happens that we don't have um, a plan for it you know uh, but a lot the the pandemic it actually um, opened up a door for a lot of things and those are just a few right there yeah part part of that where you say pardon Dave if you want to add you can add um, part of that uh, the piece of part of the solution has always been pieces to the pie so education we always needed education to do it where the problem I think came in was the parent wasn't doing their part when they handed their part over to the school. And it created a lot of problems for the teachers, administrators, because now we have to deal with uh, schools of having to deal with conduct and, and a high level of character and problems. And like you say, the trauma, and right? Because kids were coming in from, man, crazy environments to come into school to try to learn in the school like when i was over at the middle school when cam was in middle school like i watched i watched a young man play with the teachers every day every time i was there excuse me and so he would go from have fall out that class right they send him to the next class fall out that class then he'll go to the one mean teacher and by the time he got to her, right, uh, all of it stopped. And then, now these are classes that they passed him through, and then he was on the basketball team. Now, he couldn't have been on my basketball team, <laughs> right? We don't play that. Homie don't play that because I equate basketball and class, brains and bronze together. Like, you, you got to have some – some academics to play for me, right? So uh, we learned that early in the game. But when I saw that, I realized basically he was passed, right? And then that came back to now in our mentoring program, we see the same thing where, and, and this is no, uh, I don't know how to really put this, but I see it more in the males where they are not up to par in reading and math and even thinking for themselves. Like right now, we're dealing with a high level of not thinking for yourself. My next question is accountability because I, I love that word. Uh, I'm constantly working on that word, even with myself. Am I accountable, right? 
what do we need from parents now? Like, what can the parents do different for education? So, a uh, friend, a uh, colleague of mine, uh, Nicholas South, uh, he uses a frame called the, um, the three-legged stool. And you know, when we talk about the uh, equitable uh, accountability of balance, he references as there's school management, there is student management, um, and then there's parent management. And from the parental standpoint, the formula is really simple to a certain degree. Uh, see that your student gets to school on time and is ready to learn. It's, it's really that simple. No one expects um, a parent to know anything about trigonometry. That's the school's management responsibility. But the premium of education should be dropped off at school and then facilitated on school grounds. Then you also have student effort. Right. Um, and the gaps that we've been um, witnessing has been the accountability has been thrust upon the school for so much. The school is feeding students, clothing students, keeping them before school, after school, um, social emotional learning and dealing with the mental capacity and agency for students. And this is a sad statement I'm making here but we need to be careful because we are placing a school in position of being a surrogate parent and not too far away from being um, your student's award of court. Because when you take a look at everything that you're asking the students to, I'm sorry, the, the school to do and mimic, it is replacing what has traditionally been the responsibilities of the family. And you mentioned discipline because um, I want to harp on something that uh, it was Dr. Uh, Jalea Hare. She said in 2007 um, during Tavis Smiley's State of Black America, when we remove discipline out of the schools, we, we found something out. We found out that people were scared, that teachers were scared principals, principals scared of the superintendent, the superintendent afraid of the school board, the school board afraid of parents, parents afraid of the kids, and the kids ain't afraid of no damn body. And that's what we're witnessing right now. The reverence, the respect of academia that should be dropped off at the school is not prevalent the way that it historically has been. Take a look at how many videos are out there of kids cursing out adults, of kids placing their hands on teachers. This, we would have never thought that we would got to a point of this happening. I'm just 48, so right. I can, I'm speaking from schooling in, in the 80s, 90s. But even then, if you and I had a beef, we would say, I see you after school. Oh, I see you after school. Right. You know what that meant. Right. It was on. Not anymore. Why is it that the institution, the school itself, has a safe haven for students to fight? 
I mean, let's ponder on that for a second. A student will actually think that it's okay to conduct themselves in such a violent way inside of a school building. That's almost like someone saying it's okay to fight in a church or synagogue. Where has the reverence towards academia, the integrity towards education, how have we gotten to such a, a low thing and a low point where students no longer see the school as a place of learning, but as a social arena? Woo! I got an answer. I got one. Dave, you want to say something you want to add? Because I got one. I got a hot one for you. Yeah, yeah. I like the three-legged concept. But I think that, again, you're right. The responsibility of the educators is to provide the education. The responsibility of holding one accountable is on the parent. But if the parents don't hold themselves accountable, then they're not emul- they're not presenting the model for them to emulate. So, and then you got the other basis of fear. And I guess I would go back as far as I'm a little older. So I go all the way back to when there was prayer within the uh, school system now and the Pledge of Allegiance. Now, again, I know many people have different perspectives on that. But what we were seeing was there was a level of structure and responsibility and accountability that was done to hold people accountable to something that is bigger than themselves. Right. And unfortunately, we see that there's nothing that's bigger than the young people. They see themselves as bigger than you. Hey, so you know, Dave, and to, and to your yeah. point, too, and that was an excellent uh, thing you just brought up. When, when prayer was removed out of our schools in 1962, by 65, mm-hmm. we saw um, teenage pregnancy, mm-hmm. uh, suicide, and um, truancy triple within three mm-hmm. years. Within three years. Now, some people might say it was the cause and effect, but one thing for certain is that there's a relationship when, when there's a moment for students to find our, that balance and to, to meditate and focus on one thing starting out in the day um, and it, uh, it being enforced in a fashion of not necessarily just forcing a, a belief system upon you, but again, going back to protecting the, 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 the uh, academia and, and, and the institution. This is, this is who we are. But you remove that, and now the building is just, it's beyond chaotic, but we didn't even replace it with anything. When it came to discipline, you know what we replaced that with? Special education. That's, that's what we replaced. When we remove discipline out of schools, we replaced it in special education. And 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 when we remove uh, prayer out of school, we didn't replace it with nothing. <laughs> we didn't replace it with anything. So know? so so who 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 applied that though? So let's go back, like you said. So the intent. What was the intent? Because the in if sixty two they removed that sixty five was the first juvenile act. Juvenile act come into play. Uh, 68 civil rights movement, 69, no fault divorce. It was a plan, right? So we're going to destabilize, right? But what was removed when you say discipline, you literally start removing the men. 
because the man applies the discipline. That's what we do. So what has happened is, is now any man in a building with education, he's the guy that they send all the kids to. <laughs> right? So when you look at the statistics around males in education, what they say, black males is only what, 2%, 25% in, in education? Black male? If that, right? Uh, but if you go look at other countries, the males are the teachers. Primarily the teachers. 70% in Africa are male teachers. Why? Because of the discipline. So here, you remove the discipline. So where do the children go? We apply the strength. The girls go up. The boys go down. The boys fill in all these gaps. You're talking suicide. You're talking depression. You're talking, right now, mass shootings. You're talking the, the, the perpetuation of the fathers. We continue to remove that discipline to where now the school system isn't really safe. And who's primarily behind attacking the schools and mass shootings? Males. You removed us. And it ain't going to be a pretty picture if you continue this route. Because while these males, as we are talking about, they're literally sitting around practicing violence. So you're not going to have a significant change until you, as a culture, as a country, as an American country, value your males, men, boys, husbands, fathers. And they better hurry up. <laughs> you know what I mean? But that is what also is impacting that piece. And that's why I said I had an answer. Nah. Okay, next one. What is the current state of education in the city of Detroit, brother? And, and this is juicy because you only got so many thousand. Now. Everybody didn't hate off that city. <laughs> or trying to. They trying to, right? Yeah. But these kids... They're out now. They're in all these other areas, right? Some of these schools look like medical wards. So what is the state of the education in the city of Detroit? You know, um, one of the things that uh, let, let, let's go back to uh, when Kwame was in office. Okay. There was discussion if the school should fall under the mayor's office. Do you remember those discussions? Yes, sir. And and so move forward, uh, when Nikolai Vidi took over um, DPSCD, I think one of the things that he did that was fairly brilliant, because the conversation had started to resurface, the schools falling under the right. mayor's office, is he ensured that DPSCD was moving in the direction of what Mayor Dugan wants for the city of Detroit. And he somewhat stripped learning from K-plus and said, if you are a citizen of the city of Detroit, learning for you is free. Whether you are in pre-kindergarten or looking at post-secondary education. And we have incubators and hubs as well as you matriculate through our system. So if you want something for yourself in culinary arts, aerospace, business, uh, 
we have places within our high schools and we'll bus you there too so that not only you career ready but these initiatives also align to the position of where the city of Detroit is headed as well. Hospitality has to be a huge thing and part of a hub of downtown. That's how we got the Super Bowl. We were able to say there's places to stay, <laughs> there's places to eat and, and, and so forth. Right. But we also have to, to build the intellectual capacity in the city so that it is attractive for business and industry to set up shop. We can't afford to continue to lose out on your Amazons, on uh, on your Apples and things of that. We have to show that we have the intellectual capacity here. And that is why in Michigan's strategic plan for being a top 10 and 10, one of the emphasis is on post-secondary ed uh, credentials so that we can show that we have the brain power. And so when we talk about what's going on in the city of Detroit, through DPSCD, one of the things that you're seeing is a strategic plan to build intellectual capacity for citizens of the city. Um, and also keeping in mind, too, what census information is, is showing. Um, you're going to see schools pop up in southwest Detroit, not only because of a plant that's coming there, um, but also census information is showing that it's a growing population. And so, and I mentioned DPSCD because your traditional public schools have um, a lot more power when it comes to movement. And, and, and when I say power here, we're talking about uh, legacy and tradition and resources. Your charter schools can't move as readily as your traditional public schools because they don't have the coin. Right. And so DPSCD is going to be building new schools in Southwest Detroit. Your charter schools won't be able to just do that. They're going to have, they might move, but they're not in a, in a position to build. Right. You know, um, some other things that you're seeing um, in the city is a, a greater emphasis on, on literacy. Um, and um, mental health. Um, going back to your original question in the pandemic, some things that were on earth, um, these are becoming um, part of the, uh, the plans for education in Detroit to build upon um, us being uh, more than literate, <laughs> you know, but, uh, and also building a resiliency through mental health and those mental health services. So, I actually feel pretty strong that for those in the city, you give this seven to 10 years, you're going to, to begin seeing more businesses set up shop and more of our students who are prepared for those positions if they decide to, to stay here is, is really what's key. Because a lot of people um, educate in Detroit, but then move out the city. So how can this plan also encompass ways for people to become formally educated, but then also stay here too? That's gonna to be a whole another conversation and plan. Um, but you, you kind of have to be pleased with what's on paper and, and what you're seeing 
um, versus uh, matters just being rhetoric. And so I'm, I'm, I'm pretty optimistic of what will, well, what good can happen. I think that it's going to take, and going back to, to what was Dave was talking about, parental um, engagement and things of that, and student effort, because we're going to need to challenge our students a little bit more to get more and better out of them, the same way we've been asking everybody else. So, yeah, we went to a conference, the MCAN conference, and everyone's having the problem with unmotivated youth, right? The college access network, uh, and everyone's having this issue with unmotivated youth. Um, they're trying to figure out what it is. They said this was the biggest population of kids who don't even want to drive, right? And so, you know, of course you can cite uh you know, again, the pandemic. But what you said was key. I just feel um, I'm going to feel a lot better about w that process and that plan when uh, truancy isn't a factor. When we decide to put a mandate on showing up to school, right? I think, in my opinion, uh, being on time and being in school every day connected to your grades and your academics, I feel like that's a major plus for the youth uh, and for the the businesses and the systems and things like that because you got to be every day. Like even in our mentoring program, you got to be there every day. If I'm there, you got to be there. And we find that the we're so casual about this that we don't understand how we teach our children to be truant. We don't get that. I don't feel like it today. I don't feel like it is really messing up a lot of people. You know, I don't feel like it today. Uh, I'm going to take the day off, you know. And we telling them, yeah, you know, take that uh, take that day. Well, okay, let's evaluate that, though. Because truancy is a major, 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 major issue. It's on a job. You get a check Friday, you don't come back. You think that job going to be there, but you jumping from job to job. They went from an average that kids was averaging nine. They were talking about the average kid will have 17 jobs in their adult life right now. So when when we are, we are you know, making the improvements, we want truancy not to be there. Let's, let's, let's really, me, I'd rather take that. I need you to come to school, sister. And I need you to come to school every day. That's right? not enough. It's not enough, but I need you to come every day. Now, when I say it's not enough, we got to get past rhetoric now. And it's unfortunate that okay. this is going to end up transcending into public, uh, public policy. Um, because asking individuals to do things um, over and over and, and getting no movement, you, you're going to now have to do something that's going to force a new paradigm. Okay. So imagine this. I got you. So imagine this. And I'm, I'm, I'm throwing this out there arbitrarily. All right. Um, a new way of being, a system that will attach uh, truancy, attendance, to fines and um, community service. See, that's different, isn't it? Yeah. That, that, that's different. For, for days miss now, it could result in one and or those things occurring. What's going to need to take place is something that forces the, the paradigm shift. 
and the mechanisms that we've been exalting uh, are novel, but they're not good enough. How much more money are we going to spend um, on attendance officials and, and them knocking on doors? How, how much more money do we have to spend on robocalls and, and uh, automated emails? It's not doing anything to force a paradigm shift. Now we're going to end up having to get radical if we really want to see a, a, a change. There has to be there has to be recourse. You know, you mentioned going to work, for example. Well, if you're late for work, you could eventually end up getting fired. Yes. It, 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 there, there's recourse. There's something that will happen if this continues. Uh-huh. And within our schools, there is no recourse. Right. The, the, the only thing that eventually will happen is after so many days, a student um, is no longer in that particular district's um, system. I guess you could say removed. And that's it. Uh, what, what was your attendance policy in high school? I was at school every day, so I don't even know. Right. <laughs> See what I'm saying? Yeah, I don't even know. Dave, what was your attendance policy? Yeah, yeah, as you said, that go way, way back. So uh, <laughs> but they they held you accountable. I believe it was three cards for one day. And I think if you make X amount of days, you know, you were expelled and your parents had to come up. So, but, but that in itself, accountability. Uh, I mean, I, I like all the nice systems put in place and I like all the concepts. Again, I'm not a naysayer about anything. But I think until we can find a way to really hold the parents accountable. But you can't hold someone accountable. You know, you can't give what you don't have. And with, parent, with the parents of today, not to take anything with them, from them in the sense of how they can do mm-hmm. what you look at the parents are old even with the lack of education that they had they had a sense of accountability and responsibility to themselves to their children to their community so there was always a uh, I should say an operation of, of people moving in sync so if you would you didn't go to school why are you at home you know your neighbors said why are you at home and they would let your parents know you didn't go to school and so, and then if you were late, the teachers would call back. So again, as I started earlier, these fears have been created. And I remember one of my friends, what they call it, I guess some best teacher award of the year, Michigan. Uh, and she had been in the system a long time. But when she went to school uh, to do her thing, she got drugged down the hall. And not only were the students just observing, the people who, were, who ran the classroom was observing. And eventually she just decided to go on and retire. So nobody's being held accountable. There is no village anymore. Until we can work together in harmony with each other and hold their, their parents accountable, our community accountable, and go back to what Calvin said, we bring men together, uh, we're going to struggle. We're going to struggle. You know, I mean, think about it. This is the most advanced uh, era in history. You push a button and you can get anything you want. Yet this seems to be the most primitive in, in thinking and self-control and, and ability to create and think for themselves than ever. Now, what's wrong with that picture? We didn't have none of this. You, you got kids who can't even read two-letter words, if and but uh, and, and on, and it's just sad. 
So where did that come from? I mean, by the time I was in the fifth, I mean, in first grade, I could outread most of the kids, you know, because my parents were invested. Matter of fact, one parent at that time. So, so you know, if there's no investment in, in, in the child's life, uh, and they're not being held accountable, then you, you got to struggle. And I don't know if these are nice systems, and I think that's what happens. We have nice systems, and they only affect a small percentage of people. Uh, as you talked about, uh, quite a few of the systems that have been in place for years, and only thing that we see the ones that produce the negative outcomes are the one we have the massive use of, and the ones that should be producing the positive outcome, they kind of get swept under the rug. So somewhere along the line, the, the heads have to come together, the meeting of the minds have to happen, and then there has to be something on a larger scale. How can kids not think negative when they're bombarded nonstop with thousands of negative message messages? Children are not making movies. Most cases, children are not making these these violent videos. These are adults, adults who are parents. What's wrong with this picture? You know. So I like to look at things from a, a more practical way because obviously I'm not at the level you're at, my friend. But but at the end of the day, what is practical that we can do? There has to be a coming together, and I don't see that happening. You know, officials come out, they kiss babies, they kiss grandmas, they hold hands. And here's in our officials, we don't hold, we voted last week, we don't hold these people accountable. They'll be put in the office, and I'll probably, you'll probably see the mayor, the governor. You might hear from them, but the other officials who are making the laws, you don't hear no more from them. And we don't have to give them, a, they don't have a report card either. So you see them next campaign time. So a lot of people are not being held accountable, and the recipients of that are our children. Thank you. It, it seems. Culturally responsive teaching and instruction is something being discussed more and more. What exactly is it, and what is its, why is it so important? So uh, there needs to be somewhat of a, a history lesson there. Um, so we go back to uh, Brown versus Board of Education in uh, 1955. This was the landmark case that um, desegregated our schools. Um, now, little um, with people of uh, be familiar with there was actually 13 families um, they're filed alphabetically brown was just um the first and these families had already been uh, assimilated in working class america and many of them had um, already lived uh in white suburban um, areas and the uh, the concern that they were having was i'm paying taxes right now and right here and the school across the street has the internet and has the pool and it has the Chromebooks and all these wondrous things, but I have to send my kid to the school five miles away that's in the barn, so to speak, right? And um, we were never after desegregation. The building will become desegregated once I walk in. That's a byproduct of it. What we have always been after has been a quality education, has been resources and opportunity for our kids. Every parent want what is best for their kids. We want what was inside of that building versus what it was that we were receiving. However, we weren't prepared for the other side of that. There was no diversity committees, <laughs> uh, uh, DEI committees and, and diversity trainings in 1950. <laughs> so, so yes, the schools became desegregated, but the level of preparedness for, uh, for blacks to be in schools was not there. And so I say that because when you mention 
culturally responsive teaching. Here it is now, 68 years later, we are having discussions around how do we teach all the kids in a classroom. Right. Because <laughs> that's essentially what it is. Taking what person's cultures and, 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 and interests and who they are and, and utilizing that so that in, it informs instruction um, because culturally responsive teaching it is a tool. It is a tool that will help teachers allow students to be cognitively busy um, and to make connections because our brain is wired to want to make connections. And so that is what CRT does. But we've gotten here based off of desegregation. And um, what was on the other side of that was unpreparedness. And so we're starting, we're still seeing tools enter the classroom, teachers being taught on various um, dimensions and ways of how to reach all students in their classroom, the different modalities as well as levels, whether it be CRT, whether it be differentiated instruction, a whole lot of tools that are just now and still coming to the forefront 68 years later after that landmark decision, you know. Um, and it just makes sense because teachers need to be equipped with the tools to make connections with the kids so they're in a better place to be cognitively busy and to learn. Absolutely. If you, let me say this. Oh, oh, yeah. if, you get, if you give the teachers the equipment uh, to do what they need to do, but if they don't get the support to implement those tools, then it's like giving a soldier all this gear and then say you get out in the war zone and he can't use his weapon. You know, the, the, convention, the new one caused us that we had to not fire till we saw the, till we, sorry, say the client, <laughs> till we saw the enemy. And, uh, and that put us in a very compromising position because we lost a lot of soldiers because you almost, as they say, tied their hands. It would appear to me, as based on even in your intro, that even the people you provide the resources for, their hands are tied because something is going on within the children's lives, the parents' lives, because parents now come up there and they're ready to beat you down. So that even puts uh, a fear in your in your uh, personnel. Yeah. So what are we doing to untie their hands? Yeah, yeah, they want to fight because that's where that immaturity, unaccountability, un untapped, unraised, ununderstanding, unknowing is at. That's where it's at. That's where it's coming from. And um, that's a that's a a big issue. That's that's what the schools are dealing with. I mean the. Again, we go back, we can say it. As soon as we decided that we was going to remove discipline, as soon as we decided we was going to remove fathers, as soon as we decided we wanted to remove men, we created a dynamic that will impact and hurt families and children. Well, this is where we come in at because we're, we're saying here's a solution, which is, you know, uh, uh, it's hard to accept because you've been conditioned in this mindset, in this presence, and how we see it. So I've been conditioned to believe a teacher don't like me. I've been conditioned to believe that I don't need this education. I've been watching YouTube, so I believe everything is controversy or and, and conspiracies, right? I, I don't know what to believe no more, right? Because I'm not picking up the book to actually get the real information anyway. So reading and literacy, it comes back to visual literacy is off as well because... What I'm seeing, I'm forming opinion from no literacy to say this is what's really happening, and we got to do better. But but we got to do this again, Andre. We 
be checking out here. But tell everybody where they can meet you at, Brother Sharp. Uh, and, and, and if there's one last thing you'd like to share, go ahead and share. Uh, if, the, um, if there was anything I could uh, just share, is just um, let's be very um, prayerful and concerned of um, concerning of our educators out there right now. They're um, they're tired, you know. Um, there's so much uh, responsibilities and blame that's been put on them. Um, we've heard of the teacher shortages. There's also figures are right now that 55 percent of your administrators are thinking about leaving the field earlier than expected. And we have to put a greater reverence um, on um, on our educators and putting them in a position to thrive, um, not allowing them to come to school and being disrespected and being violated. Um, we're forcing adults out of a profession because we've been scared to challenge the family dynamic in our students. And, it, and when is enough going to be enough? You know, and we think it's horrific now. Wait two years from now. Um, you have universities that have been eliminating their early education programs. Mm. Um, you have uh, Teach for America, which normally has released 12,000 new teachers into the workforce. That's dwindled from 12,000 to eight into six. And now they're saying they only have 2,000 wow. in a cohort coming up. So we're losing educators and we're not replacing them with the same amount of uh, atrocity. So let's uh, be prayerful of our, of our educators out there right now because they're on the front lines and they're tired and we got to do better. Um, we have to make certain that uh, our kids are, are being held accountable for their actions too because if not, um, everything's going to be online. Then and that, that's where we're going. Everything is going to be online. And then so. if, you, if you go there... That social emotional learning, not understanding how to, you're going to have a big problem. Uh, yeah. Well, you're going to have a big problem because we me. Dave, tell the people where they can, tell them where they can get you at, Andre. Oh, uh, website, uh, interactive learning education consulting, um, www.ilec-edu.com. We help educators grow and start their own educational consulting firms um, to be on a path of um, being profitable, efficient, and achieving your dreams. So um, give me a shout. I most definitely um, look forward to, to working with you. And um, I want to make millionaires. That's what I want to do. Brother Day? Right on, brother. Right on. Uh, you can reach me at dron7 at yahoo.com or www.facebook.com. David FMAM Patterson. Phone number 608-343-0875. Dave, what's that phone number again? One, one more time. Six zero eight three four three zero eight seven five. All right. Yeah. So, yeah. So, with that being said, of course, you know where to reach me. I'm everywhere. <laughs> IG, Twitter, <laughs> Instagram. Right, right. We everywhere. But um, to to make it, and Andre, you can come back anytime. Anything on education, we're very interested in as we move through this college access phase as well. Uh, we're going to continue to paint the solutions. We're going to keep shoving them. Uh, when people catch up to us, because they got to catch up with these solutions, when you catch up to the solutions and understand that this resource, these resources, those resources are out here, it's important for you to understand you have to use them. And with that being said, you got to put your families first. Education is so important.
right? And it ain't the same, but every day that kid has got to get to school with some tools to learn. With that being said, my name is Calvin Mann. God bless you and encourage me. I'm young. Peace.